Welcome to another episode of Filmed in Canada, where the podcast, we're a podcast about Canadian movies. I'm William. One Lee. of a few. One of a few. Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is the only podcast about Canadian movies that that matters to me. Actually, since so so I had mentioned uh, it came from the woods previously, which is about Canadian horror movies. Yeah. Um, but I did come across another one called uh, I think it's called the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast, and so that one's hosted by some directors from Alberta and they just they interview local filmmakers that kind of thing listen to a couple of those pretty good cool okay cool but to finish those introductions I'm William Lee and uh, I'm Alexander Cairns I'm Jennifer Nelson great return and guest yes Yeehaw. I'm glad I'm glad um, your first experience um, that you can brush it off and come back yeah for sure thank you thank you for having me <laughs> Um, today we're going to talk about a recent documentary, Haida Gwaii on the Edge of the World, and um, it's going to be, uh, well, I'm not sure what else to say about that, except we'll just see how far that goes. I, I thought, I, I'm, I'm thinking it might be a shorter episode, but you might have a lot to say about it. And uh, stick around to the end, we are just going to have some extra comments about whatever as well. Okay, so Haida Gwaii on the Edge of the World. So, um, it's been doing the festival circuit in 2015, <laughs> and it's going to have a network, not, not network, um, but a, a TV broadcast premiere March 8th on the Knowledge Network. Um, the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, on the... Uh, knowledge Network? The Knowledge Network. Okay, on the, on the, local, on the local Shaw cable system diet, yeah. dial, dial. Um, it's, uh, I think it's five. Though I think they have an HD version as well. It's one of the um, it's just it's one of um, the channels that just does a lot of educational programming. Okay. Yeah. Never heard of it. Okay. It's been around for a while. Heard of the History Channel, which doesn't actually show history. Heard shows of National anymore. Geographic. Yeah. The Knowledge Network has been around before, and you know, I think it's from that era when there was only a handful of Canadian channels available, and um, that was one of them. Yeah, and maybe oh. because of CRTC rules, it just was always there or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing, but it's always been around since I've. But uh, the History Channel it. doesn't do history anymore. No, it's like ice truckers and oh, like reality all those shows, shows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is not history whatsoever. It's like how um, is it MTV or Much Music? Yeah, they're like, all just reality it's, shows. It's history today. Yeah, like it's happening right now. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Creating a historical <laughs> document of the decline of Western civilization. Yeah. <laughs> moment uh, by moment. The, the director is Charles Wilkinson, who uh, who did a lot of TV work, and his last three features, uh, including Haida Gwaii, they are um, they're feature length documentaries that have an environmental theme. Uh, there was Peace Out in 2011 and Oil Sands Karaoke in 2013. Um, both of those I haven't seen. Any of you seen those? No, no. I haven't seen either. Okay. Though I take issue with this film having an environmental theme. Yeah. All right, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> Just as a side note, um, it was at the Vancouver Film Festival back in the fall, and then it had a short, um, uh, I wouldn't say regular run, but it had a, a limited run at, uh, at one of the art house theaters in town. Um, it's still on the festival circuit, yep. but um, it's taken me four attempts to see it. So uh, I, I finally caught it uh, when in, it was at the Rio last week. That was the fourth time I went to the theater to see it. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the fourth attempt I made before I finally saw it. Um, so there is, there really is an appetite 
for this movie, um, whether it's just interest in the subject matter or if it's um, um, hippies. <laughs> or, or hippies, whether it's just tapping into the right audience, but um, there's they're they've been having uh, sellout shows for this, which is which is great for um, for local uh, film. But at at two different independent theaters too. Yeah, <laughs> at the Rio and Van City. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit what it's about before we get into our opinions on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Okay. And then we can talk about how it's about it. Mm-hmm. Who okay. wants to start? Well, the the Haida Gwaii Islands. Um, they used to be called Queen, Queen, Queen Charlotte, Charlotte Islands, yeah. yeah. Up until um, 2010, when they were renamed, um, thanks to an agreement uh, between um, the Haida people and the province of British Columbia. Um, that's actually, and I was surprised that that wasn't a thing that they um, talked Did, more about yeah. in the movie. I didn't even know that that was true. I thought it was still called Queen Charlotte Islands. No, oh, okay. if you listen on the weather channels, they're always like Haida Gwaii. Okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's uh, it's a series of islands. Um, I guess the term is archipelago, on the north coast of British Columbia. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. that's where it is. I'm not sure yeah. what else to say about it than that's where it is. Um, the documentary kind of covers a, a, a brief history of the of the place and the people on it, and then it talks to a lot of uh, contemporary locals. locals about what they're doing there, uh, how to sustain their economy, <coughs> problems with... Um, how their economy has changed economy. because of the resources that are... I would say environmental concerns are part of what's voiced. Yeah. There's... Uh, and, um, and people talk about the future of the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I guess as well, it kind of gets into how it's generally divided into... Do you remember what the name was of the reserve area? The not reserved, but national the, park. Yeah, yeah, there's a national park portion Gwai, of the islands. Guayanas. Guayanas, yeah. 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 And then, and then the remainder is not protected land. There's logging going on there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, why don't we start with uh, general, general feelings thoughts. about it? Yeah, yeah, sure. For me, I guess I have a lot of opinion on this movie, just because. <laughs> I really wanted to hear from the perspective of the Haidas, like of the people who are actually from there. And I felt that they did obviously speak to um, local um, residents who are Haida, but then they also did a 50-50 split. So speaking to the local students who are not Haida made me uh, very irritated because I was like, why not speak to youth Haida? who are actually in their community trying to make change. And then at the end, they randomly talk to a photographer who is trying to make a change. And it's like she gets two minutes, and she's Haida, and she is act- using her art for activism. Political so, Yeah, political, yeah. yeah. And it just kind of offended me in the sense that I was like, you're making this movie to show a, a First Nations group who took back their power and said, no, you're not going to take any more from us. But then you're telling it from a perspective of outsiders. Mm-hmm. Like they told it from people who've all moved there that are Caucasian. Or Hispanic or Asian. Yeah, yeah or Hispanic. Caucasian, yeah. And that, for me, I was like, that's not, that shouldn't have been the point. The point should have been from the perspective purely. Like, obviously, you can talk to those people, but majority, 80% of the commentary and the documentary should be from the perspective of the Haida population. And for me as well, they should have done more speaking with the elders. Because that's a big, big part of First Nations culture, is speaking with the people who have passed along their culture. And I felt like they didn't give that respect. Hmm. Okay. Alexander, you want to 
uh, get some initial thoughts on it too. Yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I just, I was just kind of disappointed with this thing. Oh, okay. Um, I, there's just something about documentaries as a form where when I see an opportunity to explore something more interesting than what they're exploring, I'm just like, why are you doing this? Why are you making this thing? And so, I don't know. It just felt like they spent so much time talking to these people who are, you know, like sustainable farmers. Yeah, or, like the the girl that came at, like and visited and then decided to move back there and is farming. Yeah. I'm like, why even speak to her? Like, yeah. I understand she has an aspect of using like the land they have to make the food, but there wasn't really any point to have her. And she was featured. Yeah. Like, I feel like she was a featured person in yeah. this documentary. And he, or even or even the woman that um, had the solar panels. Yeah. And she's going around the island installing solar panels. It's like that that's not something that's unique to this place. So why bother spending five minutes talking about solar panels? People know that they exist and they know that it's a challenge to get them installed in places and like like that's something that can be left to some other environmental documentary. But it seemed like they were just they were talking to so many different people about their experience that it was just diluted and there was no real message to it. Um they're, they get into a bit of the history of how the the national park was formed, the Haida, Haida, Guayanas, but like nothing, nothing really substantial about like the current political challenges that they're having. Well, and then, yeah. and then I guess I guess there was a bit on the um, uh, the whole pipeline issue right now, and that all the tankers would be going past them. But again, like not all that much so and they spoke a little bit with the um gentleman who's Haida but works for fisheries and oceans like for the federal government i think he could have contributed way more than the people that they did focus on because he could tell it from a perspective of being Haida and then also having to work with the government and make sure that that those two parties are getting what they want mm-hmm. right and and, and and there was like a toss-off comment that he made that you know, it's challenging for him to yeah. work for the government, but be part of a First Nations community. And it's like, okay, he said he told he told you something that is a challenge to him. Why not ask him what the challenge is and get into more detail on that? But it was just like and it's a challenge, and then on that. to the next person. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of. It felt like there were a lot of loose ends and just too many avenues explored. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess I'm a bit more generous to the film than you guys are. Um, I think it tries to do a lot of things in its in its runtime. It, want, it wants to give a history of the place, uh, talking about its uh, um, like how it was, it was affected by colonialism and then how it's recovered from that. Um, I think it wants to present this idea of of a unique community that is um, almost half. Um, the, half of the population is the, the indigenous people, and the other half is, seems to be um, hippies of some sort, uh, mm-hmm. people who've come from around the world and they are looking for this alternative way of living almost. And uh, uh, the other thing that I got out of it too was uh, that the filmmakers are really trying to show how these uh, these two cultures are making a community out of the place, um, that they have some sort of vested interest in, in preserving what they have. So it does, it does cycle through its voices very quickly, and uh, I guess there isn't the depth um, that, uh, that you would get if it, was had, if it had a more focused uh, 
story to tell. Um, or, but even when you say runtime, like it's only like 85 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's really not that long. So they could have added another half hour footage and, and gotten into some of the more interesting elements of, of what's going on there. Yeah. One of the things, one of the interviewees that I thought was really interesting was uh, that uh, um, the Haida man who, I don't know if he still is, but he was an RCMP officer. Right. Um, and he was yep. talking about how he had to work um, for the RCMP when there was um, protests to, uh, to blockade the logging roads. Yeah, yeah and, and he, was, he had to arrest the people and he that had was the hardest day of his life. Yeah. 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 Uh, I thought that was um, a really, um, really moving uh, interview to, to hear and, uh, and, and certainly uh, I think that is a, a, a good moment in the movie where, oh, I mean a great moment yeah. in, in that, in that um, in, among the interviews to talk about someone who, who really is sort of um, um, like enmeshed in the history of the place. And, and that's, a, that's what I wanted to see more of, mm-hmm. like to bring that up and then not, like I feel like the filmmakers, I, obviously I wasn't doing any, I was no part of this film, but I feel like they could have s- sought out more people like that mm-hmm. and the people that were actually at the blockades during that time. Um, the people that were fighting for that and actually speak from their perspective as well. Instead of kind of going to the fluffy side of the documentary where there's someone doing organic farming. Like, mm. like why not speak about the people that were at, like, who were actually there fighting for what they wanted instead of going to the, the nice over all, which is great. You got to see that they are a community now, but I would have rather done more of the history and like, from a first person's perspective. Okay. Do you think that there's, um, to want that story, uh, to want that perspective, do you think it's, it's a part of our nature to, um, bear with me for a moment, because uh, uh, probably this is not the right way to phrase it, <laughs> but do you think we're seeking sort of an exotic angle on things sometimes? For me, it's not even about that. For me, uh, it's not that I'm certain, like, I just think why not give the people from the island a voice instead of i understand that like you said there is it shows how the two different like the indigenous people and the people moving there and how they are a collective and they are coming together as a community but the thing is why not give the people who are from that area as a first nation group more of a voice in this film and talk about how they've gotten to where they are because they didn't just get to where they are because people are moving to that island. They got to where they are because as a, as a culture, they decided to stand up for what they believe in mm-hmm. and sa- said, no, like this isn't happening anymore. Yeah. And that is a unique story among what we hear when we say, when, when we hear the stories about indigenous people uh, asserting their rights. Yeah. They're uh, one of the their... only groups in the yeah. whole world to have ever done that. Yeah. And I would have really enjoyed. I think they even said the only yeah, yeah, people the only... to have ever created a new national park that wasn't driven by some government institution or whatever. So why, why not give them more of a voice? Like even simply just within the people in the actual film. Mm-hmm. So just, it's just, I guess I just have an issue with that because I feel like all documentaries are like that. They, they kind of get into the grit of things of like the RCMP talking about having those divided yeah, divide. between your, your job and your, and your people. And then 20 minutes later, it's all happy-go-lucky, which I'm like, for me, it's just not, 
I walk away just feeling a little bit more frustrated because I'm like, I really wanted to learn from a first person's perspective. Okay. What they, how, how they feel and how, like how they want, how they want to see their future going. And I think, um, the one girl who does do activist work, like even they showed her in the March in Vancouver, mm-hmm. it was great that she was a main feature, but I think they should have had more. I just felt kind of left. Yeah. Well, and that, that protest at the end, it was sort of like two minutes at the end of the movie. And then there's like this uplifting song playing over the whole thing. And like, that was it. And then and, they raised the pole. And But I think if you were to go there, you would have a much different understanding of like, you wouldn't think like, oh, like we're really, we're doing, we're doing the Lord's work. Like we're, we're really making some strides. Like they're struggling to ensure that their voice is heard in, in these issues over, yeah. over pipelines and, and environmental protection and, um, you know, logging and everything like that. Like th- it's not just not one March is going to make a whole difference. Yeah. A thought that occurs to me when we see these types of documentaries is, um, that a voice that is neglected is, is, um, is that of like the, the government or, uh, or like a spokesman, a spokesperson for, I said government. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I already said government. A voice for the government, right? Like, yeah. like, cause we're talking about, um, we're talking about people and their struggle against, uh, like sy- sy- systemic, um, oppression or, or like the history of legislation that works against them. Yeah. Um, what's missing is, is that, is, the, is to hear from someone who is in government to say like, how do we deal with the community now? What, what have we learned from that experience? Right. Well, or, or even, or even the perspective of the logging companies to, yeah. to offer like, here's, here's how we believe we are selectively logging and that it's not an issue to the environment. I, obviously they would have that perspective and, and there could be some validity to that, but yeah, it's not, it's not part of what they're, what the story they're telling, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, um, the screening that I attended, the, uh, the director was in attendance to take questions, um, as well as um, somebody from the community who, um, who was featured in the movie um, and was uh, instrumental in like, helping the film crew get access to the community. Um, okay. She was the, she was the woman from Mexico who is Does now the, um, kelp. The, the kelp farming business. Yeah. So she was also there. And so she is, um, she's an organizer of a film festival on the island. Okay. Um, or is it Islands? Or yeah. In her community. She's yeah. the organizer of a film festival. So that's how she and the director um, knew each other. And um, she was, it sounds like she was one of the persons who initiated the idea with the director to, to make a, a movie about uh, Paraguay. Um, so they took, they took questions at the, uh, at the end of the screening. And uh, um, one of the questions that came from the audience was like, was how did you get access to the community or was the community standoffish? Um, and, and he talked about how initially that there was a lot of reserve from people because they've seen television crews or international documentary crews come in for a week and just, you know, gather a lot of the standard footage, like show us some totem poles and show us, show us some of this and show us some fishing and then we're off. Right. Yeah. And so they weren't, so nobody was willing to talk to them for a while. And so they had to, they had to stick around the community and had to make repeat visits to establish themselves as... as and gain that trust. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, and then they had access to, uh, to more people and who were more willing to open up about their experience. Now, not, not to make excuses for the filmmakers, because yeah. we're not talking about the experience of making a film. We're talking about the finished product. Yeah. Um, but do you feel... 
Because you, because you, Jennifer, you said that um, there's not enough Aboriginal voices. Featured. I, I just I feel that way, and yeah. obviously I've also thought of that that maybe the maybe the community wasn't as welcoming and yeah. forefront with sharing their perspectives. But I think um, I just I just think there could have been more. I just I just feel that way, and yeah. the, there's limit. The, maybe there's limitations that yeah. we don't know of. But do you feel? Um, did you get a sense? I felt like they that. were like I felt like they were trying to show like from the perspective mm-hmm. of the Haida people. Um, I just, I guess I feel like this with a lot of documentaries. It's always showing the perspective, but there always has to be that. Do this? Do they do more than scratch the surface? Is what I'm is what I'm asking. Like, do you think they maybe let's like let's give it let's. Give them the benefit of the doubt that it's a sincere approach yeah. um, to, to tell the story. Certainly. Yeah. But are they making enough effort, I guess is the question. You, th- you think that they could have made more effort to get into the I community? I think so. Okay. I think so. I, I, would, I would say that it's not so much an issue of getting into the community and necessarily getting more feedback from the people there, but, they, but that you know, certain elements could be filled in with either voiceover from from one of the filmmakers or, or from one of the people who is there that that's that's willing to do it, that they could just fill in some more of the historical gaps and and kind of what's going on today, that kind of stuff. They could with text on the screen or um, television yeah, footage or, or, yeah, it doesn't all have to be interviews, so that they could add more more of a more of a message and a theme to it rather than it just being this collection of voices. I would agree with yeah. Alexander. Um, I just, I just really wish there were certain people we heard more from. Okay. And obviously they had access to those people, so I kind of, I kind of question why the filmmaker didn't necessarily use more from that person's perspective or voice, or speak a little bit more about them, whether yeah through text on the film or them saying directly themselves with voiceovers. Um, It's not that I don't, I didn't not like the film i just wanted i was ex- i was wanting more and expecting more i guess the the way that it tells the story um did you have any um any thoughts on that like it like you're there could have been um more done in, in the filmmaking to uh to use different um different media to tell to lay out information it's it's kind of an unadorned documentary like it's just um you know a lot of talking heads um there isn't a lot of unique um uh, innovative ways to convey information, and maybe it just uh, is a dis- obviously a decision of the of the filmmakers to not uh, have those elements that maybe they find distracting. But um, I did find the drone photography distracting. Okay, just because it was like, why are you using a drone to go up twenty feet and then cut to the next shot? I don't know. But the, the one thing that I found a little distracting actually was. Um, they kind of broke up the sections of the movie with a title on the screen. Mm. That I thought was um, either unnecessary or or not stylistically um, of a piece with the rest of it. Um, yeah. It just sometimes it would be at the bottom of the screen to the left, and then sometimes it'd be to the right, and it, and it was just like a typeface that I wasn't sure if it was if it was meant to be there or not. Yeah, if yeah. it was purposeful or yeah. if it was just. I don't even I don't even know if I noticed that. I I noticed what. William's talking about, but yeah, you couldn't tell if it was like purposefully added or just because they had so much to talk about, they just needed to break it up to. Yeah, and also to cue us. Like, yeah, this is now what this. This is a different is about. Sub- subject yeah. for the movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's uh, if that style is 
um, of a piece with his other movies in this in this kind of loose trilogy that he's made. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, so you don't think it's you don't think it's really an environmental movie? It just didn't feel like it had a strong message to me, yeah. and that so there I just don't know what they're trying to say about this place and its hope for survival in the modern world. I didn't I didn't get any sense of that, so I I don't know. Okay. Um, if you mean not to put words in your mouth, but like, if you mean <laughs> that there isn't, there's not a clear like arc for this for the narrative, yeah. so to speak. Um, I agree with you. It's, it kind of meanders, I think. Yeah. And I wonder if uh, if like over the course of the three movies, there's there's more of a uh, uh, of a of a direction for what uh, the filmmaker wants to do, what what he wants yeah. to say. Um, but looking at, at just this one, I if I could if I could offer a way to um, to read the message from it, it might be that this is the one where we where we have evidence that there's hope for um, for these problems that there's that there's um, optimism yeah. that a community is going to find um, new ways to address these uh, these concerns. And I think maybe that's why people are um, attracted to it because it is um, it's just that one signpost on a long road that says maybe we're going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I guess I, maybe my my reading of the situation is more pessimistic, and so that, that's maybe that's where some of my issues with the movie lie because I just it seems like there are more challenges that they're going through than were presented in the documentary. It would also be interesting now too that our government has changed in the last year since the movie's been made. The f- federal, the, the federal government, government. Yeah. yeah. So to see how that'll change and all the how there's been comments on the pipelines and how mm-hmm. Trudeau has said no, whereas Harper was pro. Mm-hmm. So I've I've gotten the sense that they are. No, he said in China recently, like generally pro pipeline. We're not going to do it based just because you're going to put a whole bunch of money into our country. So we'll do it if you give us right. other reasons, <laughs> right? But yeah. they haven't they haven't outright they haven't outright, but notly. The premier of Alberta is not pro pipeline, right? And mm. Trudeau is—he has been wishy-washy, but I think since Notley said she's not pro pipeline, he's kind of siding with that because Alberta is, yeah, yeah, the direct province that will make the biggest decision based on that. But it'll be interesting because our federal government has changed drastically. It's changed. I don't know yeah. yet. We don't. <laughs> it's hard to say how drastic. Yeah. yeah, but it yeah. has changed definitely. Mm-hmm. So because it was filmed during a different. Right, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's what I'm. Right. That that's only like not bring up that, but it was right. filmed during a time where. Yeah, I just thought you were going off on nothing. No, no, no. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was like. It sounds like I'm just going on a on a yeah. tangent, but I'm not. I was just saying because it was filmed during a different time. Yeah. And so the so the and I, I I believe it's the federal government that has jurisdiction over national parks. So yeah, yeah. Um, but the way the pipeline goes, it has Alberta has a lot of influence on right. Yeah, there's the and DC, yeah, there's yeah. the uh, the the potential that um, the the island, the parks area, everything would be affected in, yeah. in the event of uh, of an oil spill, of course. Um, yeah. So yeah, it would be interesting to see how um, that community's concerns are are addressed in going into the future. I mean, the movie um, doesn't directly talk to people about that. It just, it, but it it kind of it puts it on the table with everything else that they're dealing with. Is yeah. like, what's the future if uh, this thing were to come about? Yeah. More, more tankered traffic. Yeah. yeah. So at the festival, you saw that other documentary, Hadwin's Judgment? Yes. 
about Grant Hadwin. Yeah, so he uh, he was a logger in Haida Gwaii back in the 80s, I think. I, I read the book back in high school. Ecology. That's the type of science <laughs> that would talk about archipelagos, I think. Or like a marine biologist, maybe. Okay. But it was in an ecology course that I read the book about, the Golden oh, okay. Spruce, about um, Grant Hadwin. And so he he cut down this sacred tree as a as a form of protest against the logging industry, despite the fact that he was part of the logging industry, and then it disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you have some thoughts on that documentary? I didn't see it. Um, watching the Haida Gwaii documentary, was it on your mind that they're not addressing the... Um the history about the cutting of the golden spruce? No. Not that specifically. Okay. Yeah. Right. Somebody in the audience at the screening I, I attended, somebody in the audience asked about that. Mm-hmm. And the director said it was a decision to uh, to not talk about it because it was such a heated, still such a uh, a touchy thing in the community that if they if they opened that can of worms, that would like overtake the documentary is what, how they felt about it. And I, and I think they also said they were aware of uh, the other documentary, had... Hadwin's judgment uh, was uh, was filming. So they were filming at the same time. Yeah. So they they were just uh, aware of the other movie, and they they I think they didn't want to like replicate the same yeah. uh, subject matter. Um, Hadwin's judgment is a very, in some ways, a poetic documentary, um, and there's uh, it's the way it's shot is uh, really shows off that. Um, the force of uh, of Haida Gwaii and uh, it makes you appreciate it I think a lot so it does it does resonate a lot more when you see um, when you see the, the expanse of uh, of forest um, and and then you see clear cut like a, yeah. a, a, a big swath of, of uh, cut trees right so it certainly is impactful um, I would recommend Hadwin's Judgment yeah yeah but back to Haida Gwaii um, <laughs> Yeah, should we wrap it up, or was there anything else you wanted to touch on with Haida Gwaii? No. I'm good. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, should we do a regular uh, round of things on that, then? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, identify ways that the movie is especially Canadian? Uh, it represents a community that uh, has a balance of First Nations and other cultures. Yes, especially the multicultural aspect. Yeah. yeah. The melting pot? No. It's a mosaic. Yeah. A mosaic, right, right. Melting right. pot means we're assimilating to all the same thing. America's the melting pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, obviously, it's filmed in cat like Sure. Yeah, there yeah. was a natural beauty of our landscapes. Yeah. yeah. And, a f- like, a type of forest that is somewhat unique to our part of the world. I guess you'd see it a bit in the Pacific Northwest of America. The raising of the totem pole, I think, yeah. is um, uh, a common thing you would see in a in a movie that features uh, Canadian First Nations people. Yeah. And all the art that they did represent. Yeah. I guess it's kind of unavoidable for this kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> it would yeah. be really bad if they didn't <laughs> show that at all. Yeah. And we'll go to our scoring system. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so... Um, 29? I think. Because you want to hit the prime numbers? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to score this one out of 29 leaves. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'll go first because I guess I, I, I'm a bit more positive about it than you guys are. But I, I would... You don't know that. <laughs> I only know for myself. 
I'm only speaking for myself when I say I feel that I'm a bit more positive about it than you guys are. So I'm going to give it. Um, I'm going to give it um, 22 leaves. I'm going to give it 17. Yeah, 17 is a good number. 17 or 18, yeah. something like that. All right. That's. Uh, oh, actually, no. Sorry, sorry. It's an infinite leaves because it takes place in the forest. So. <laughs> Okay, well then let the record show that, that Alexander has given the, this movie infinite leaf score. <laughs> we, need a, we need like a, a sound effect for that. <laughs> like, it's like some sort of wrestling announcer and a bell. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be like rustling leaves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm actually going to do that because <laughs> there will. I, I can imagine that there will be a many Infinite Leaf movies in our in the history of our podcast because there are a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of movies that take place in the forest in Canada. It yeah. seems like. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, sitting down to talk about Haidaguay on the edge of the world. Well, that was a good discussion. So there's extra things that we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, what have you, uh, have you guys been seeing anything interesting lately? So Jennifer, you were saying you're excited for Black History Month, yeah? Well, it seems that Vancouver is really celebrating it from what I can see. There's a couple of things going on. Um, yeah, it's, I think in the last couple of years it's picked up a bit. Yeah, and well, and I think for for Canadians, it's not big on a whole throughout our our country because not many Canadians are well versed in the history of Black people within this country and think that it was always equal for them, even though it wasn't. But um, there was an interesting film that the Cinematheque looks like they're showing in the beginning of February called Brooklyn Bohem, which is um, prevalent Black Americans such as Spike Lee. And I believe just interviews and narratives from their experience, which cool. is something I'd like to see. But mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So. And then the Van City Theater, they they do a thing every year. They they show like a couple of movies. I think they're showing that documentary that you thoroughly fell in love with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Ninth Floor, which I've I believe I have offered some thoughts on on a previous episode. So I won't get into that again. Right. But it's not but good. I think I think it's just. Um, that it's, I mean, it's a new documentary and it's on that subject matter. So I think it's going to get a lot of uh, play, which is, which is good. There's, yeah. That there's exposure to the story, even, even though you think it's um, sort of a, yeah, it doesn't take, quite I do I would take issue justice. with the filmmaking, not the Not the, the actual story. subject, yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. There's not really a um, Brooklyn neighborhood in Vancouver. Uh, what I no. mean is like, because you said that, that documentary is about. Yeah. Um, so that's the hard part, I think, with, um, with anything that's going to be from the perspective of black Canadians is there's no, unless you go to Toronto or in Alberta, there's quite a prevalent African community, community, but in the different areas, but it's hard because there's not really any history. There is a little bit on the East coast where blacks were segregated, but um, other than that, it's, I don't know much about the, the history of, uh, of black people in on the West coast of uh, Canada. I got other a- than Jimi Hendrix, I guess. There's a there's a famous <laughs> Jimi Hendrix shrine yeah. in uh, just off the just off Main Street, yeah, off of, yeah mm-hmm. just outside Chinatown, yeah. which uh, I've never checked out. But I his grandmother lived there. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's just yeah, prominently marked. If people 
make the pilgrimage, they can find it. Um, at some point, there was some black represented. There was a, a black population in Vancouver, which yeah. is it's harder to uh, to see it now. Uh, one of the prominent persons of that community was a gentleman by the name of Joe Fortes. Yes, yeah. which everyone knows the restaurant. And... Yeah, everyone knows it as like this uh, super expensive seafood restaurant. But he was actually, he, from what I know, his story is like he was a lifeguard and saved many people's lives. Yeah. And that's why he is a more prominent black figure within Vancouver. Yeah, that he was this... Um, did he actually start the restaurant or did they just name no, it? No, they na- from what I understand, they named it after him. That's my understanding too. And he's yeah. from Barbados. Same with the library. Yeah. yeah. It's just because he was, he did a lot for the community in the West okay. End. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, about yeah. as much as I know as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jimi Hendrix connects to a movie that we saw recently, Jennifer and I, uh, Coen Brothers movie, A Serious Man. Uh, Machine Gun by Jimi Hendrix is featured in a uh, sequence. One of the characters in the movie goes to see a rabbi and that song's playing in the background. <laughs> so, segue into Coen Brothers. They're good. They make good movies. They've got a new one coming out in like a week, I think. Hail Caesar. But, That's funny. Um, a Serious Man could be my favorite of their movies, but I was thinking about it last night after we watched it that, like, other than a couple that just don't really stand out at all, I feel like you can just watch one of their movies and think, oh, yeah, this is their best one. Yeah. Because they're all so good. Uh, not all, but, like, a vast majority of them are so good. I tend to agree with that. Yeah. People don't like um, that one, the comedy with that Brad Pitt's in. Um, Burn After Reading? I've, I've actually, I, I feel like people are coming around on that because I, I, okay. I love that movie. Me too. I, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I thought the script was tight and it was funny. And, yeah. yeah and I, think, I, was, I was surprised that people dismissed it. I think because it came out right after they did No Country for Old Men, it just, it was too much of a... Contrast from yeah. that. Yeah. But I guess Intolerable Cruelty and Lady Killers are two that kind of stick out as... Ones that people just generally don't like, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, anytime I like, like when I watched Fargo last year, it's like, oh yeah, this is their best movie, and then you watch Serious Man, it's like, it just seems like they're they're always on such a high caliber that um, always enjoy them a lot. I've only seen a Serious Man once, and it felt to me like you you really have to be on the inside of their style of humor to to really enjoy that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, the first time you saw it, did you uh, were you into it the first time you saw it as well? Uh, not as much, but more so just because of the circumstances under which I watched it. I um, I took my dad to see it, and um, like it opens with that extended sequence where everyone's talking in Yiddish, and it was just kind of a weird, uncomfortable experience. And afterwards, just like, oh, that was a weird movie. But I went back and watched it again like a couple years later, and I uh, loved it. And I've seen it a few times since then as well. But I, I find it hysterical, like as funny as as any of their their comedies, really. And and like I think because it's not like an over the top kind of comedy, that's I, I guess that's just where my preferences lie in terms of what I find funny. That it's more to do with just people being put in uncomfortable situations, but that are also grounded in reality to some extent. Uh, that I find it really funny. Mm-hmm. There is something about the everyday suffering of people in situations in that. And I think, I think that's where they try to find the uncomfortable humor because you, um, I think we're, we're often met with challenges or tragedies and you can't get out of it in, 
you can't really get out of it in real life like you see in the movies. Like you gotta defeat the monster and then things will be better. Sometimes you just gotta have to you have to weather it and you yeah. have to find a way to to accept it. And I think that's a lot of what the movie is about too. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a running theme in all of the movies, both the comedies and the dramas. Like they're just it's always about people sort of digging themselves into a hole and then and then having to try and find a way to get out of it. Um, and typically not succeeding very well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But we watched, um, uh, we've talked about Tony Joe, a uh, video essayist on YouTube in the past. Um, but another, another channel that I've been following recently is the Nerd Writer, a guy named Evan, I'm going to say Pushak, I think it is Pushak, I don't know. But um, uh, Jennifer, we watched that, he did, he did a video on A Serious Man a couple months ago, maybe. Yeah. And we watched that after we watched the movie. Um, I don't know if you if you wanted to. Yeah, and I really, I think it made a closure for the movie. Not that I really needed one, but he just it comments about how this is probably the Coen Brothers' most their film. They talk the most commentary about how to, like questioning what you're what you're going through and your suffering, and how that doesn't really help anyone when you question it. And Alexander mentioned at the end of the film when the main character tries to actually influence his own life and not just take what is happening to him, you can see his life just actually falling, like going even further negative and more Yeah, like the suffering is just kind of happening to him for the whole movie. And then he tries to become an agent of change in his own story and then immediately everything turns to shit again. Yeah. So just Mm -hmm. the comment on how you influence the suffering that's going on around you. Perhaps it's a movie that is worth revisiting, like, after you've experienced more in your life, to, to revisit it and see, like, how this character deals with it and how that reflects the way that any of us deal with things yeah. that uh, we have to uh, get over. Yeah. But, okay, well, a serious man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A serious movie. <laughs> it's not that serious, no. really. <laughs> All right, maybe not. Um, so Jennifer, if you want to you want to check out our older content, our website is filmedincanada.net. Uh, well, yeah, well, you can contact us by email at filmedincanada at gmail.com. Uh, we welcome iTunes reviews. We still only have one from my mom. Yeah. But, it's a, but it was a glowing review. Yeah, five stars. Yeah. Although, I, actually, there could be American people or people from other countries that have given us reviews, but we just don't know it because the iTunes store is stupid and they like only show the reviews from your country. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So international. So for all you Canadian podcast listeners, actually, this is good to know. If you listen to American podcasts and they run promotions where it's like we'll give you some get some prize. You can't if get you, those prizes. If you give us a review, yeah, you won't be able to get the prize. Yeah. So get on your asses and write that <laughs> review for us. Thank you. Thank um, you. And uh, we'll have another episode for you soon. <laughs>